Good morning again. I do like this time of year. I'm still going to call it spring until we have two straight days without rain. <laughs> then it's summertime. But everything is lush and verdant, isn't it? Everything's growing. Grass is growing. Roses are growing and blooming. Irises are growing. Lilies are growing. Tomato plants are growing. Cucumber plants are growing. And of course, weeds are growing. Lots of weeds. We're going to talk a bit about weeds today. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to look at the parable of the wheat, the wheat and the weeds. Now last uh, Sunday we said that biblical parables uh, hold up one reality as a mirror, uh, serving as a mirror to help us see and understand another reality, and namely the kingdom of God. That parables are an invitation to follow King Jesus and to learn how to live under his rule, under his sovereign, dynamic, active rule and reign in our lives. So let's, let me just uh, give us a brief history of the kingdom, which is a topic that's a little, little tough to understand, all right? So I'm, gonna, I'm a visual kind of person, so I'm going to visualize this a bit for you. Think two kingdoms or domains. The, the bright yellow or golden one we'll call the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And, and that is where God is present and where God rules and reigns, where God's will is done. It's a place of righteousness and holiness and joy and peace and love, and it's perfect and wonderful. And we'll call the, the green circle the kingdom of this earth uh, where humans are present and uh, where they rule and reign. Oh, that's just neutral at the moment. So in the beginning, at the very beginning, those two uh, kingdoms really overlapped. They were one because God had created Adam and Eve to be his vice regents uh, to rule and reign over the earth as his representatives. In fact, God was present. He walked with them and talked with them, and they obeyed him and did his will, and there was righteousness and holiness and peace and joy. It was all together at the beginning, but it didn't last long. So then you have the fall, and in the fall, you have uh, mankind rebelling against God and in their pride and saying, we, we want to be the ones who determine what's good and bad, right and wrong. Uh, we're taking over the reins here. We're going to do our own thing. And they thought kind of that they were going to rule, but in fact, they'd been deceived by Satan. And Satan usurped man's position of rulership. In fact, Satan became the one who ruled the kingdom of this earth. And we have all kinds of evil flood in. It got all messed up. I was, too, I was too nice. I should have put way more black marks on there, okay? But that, that's, that's where pride and hatred and, and self-sufficiency and, and hypocrisy and self-righteousness and violence and cruelty and a lack of compassion and, and all the ugliness and all the vileness and all the things that mar and scar and bend and, and why it's all broken. It all, it all comes in because of the fall. All right? And so those, those kingdoms are separated. Now, that's, that's a bit of an oversimplification. God's still active and involved, all right? Um, but then I'm going to jump over a ton of history a little bit and, and go to the incarnation. That's when God became man in Jesus Christ. And in, in coming into the kingdom of this earth, Jesus brought the, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, near. He says it, the kingdom of God has come near. But he didn't come 
in order to establish what the Jewish people were hoping and expecting, and that was a, a physical kingdom on this earth, he had come, first of all, to deal with that usurper, Satan, and to take back uh, from Satan what Adam had lost to Satan, and that is the right for a man to rule this earth. And that man would be Jesus Christ. And that man would always do God's will and speak God's word and do God's action. So be the perfect representation uh, of God in the world. And so he took back the right and authority to rule this earth. And he also gave his life as an atoning sacrifice so that all who put their faith in him could have forgiveness of sin and be reconciled to God and therefore enter into relationship with the king. And so this is what's happening now during our time is that uh, we as God's church, the body of Christ, are calling people from every nation, tribe, and tongue to come out of the kingdom of darkness, the dominion of Satan, into the kingdom of the sun, the kingdom of light, to have forgiveness and redemption. All right, we're calling people into, it's a relational reality. It's a coming into relationship with God under his rule and reign to come back into having God be the one who, uh, is the, who rules and reigns over us in life and light. That's what's happening now, but sometime in the future, Jesus is going to come back, all right? And when he comes back, then the two will once again become one because we read that the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. And, and so then again, God's, God's will, the new heavens, the new earth will be together, and it will be God's will done on earth as it is in heaven with a beauty and joy and peace and love and righteousness and holiness, and, and cast out of that, you, you see that smudge, all the causes of evil and all those who do evil, those who refuse to submit to uh, the lordship of Jesus Christ, all of that will be separate and put aside from God's good kingdom, which will be on this earth, all right? So that's kind of a, uh, an overview of the whole thing. And parables are to help us understand some of the, some of the realities of what I just told you. And so last week, um, we noted that there was a shift in what Jesus did. He was moving away from the synagogue, kind of moving away from the Jewish leaders, and he was moving out into the open or into homes. And although he was still going to teach the crowds, he was really focusing in on his disciples. And he had started to teach in parables because parables sift and separate those with hard hearts, those who, who will not and, 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 and refuse to submit to Christ and his kingdom, from those with hungry hearts who want to know, who want to pursue Jesus, and they, and they will receive more as they pursue. And so now that Jesus starts on parables, he's on a roll, all right? So here we go. We're going to jump in, because uh, he got a whole string of them now in Matthew 13. We're going to look at the second one, uh, the parable of the wheat in the weeds. We're going to pick it up in verse 24, Matthew 13, verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. The good seed is like the good soil in the first parable. Um, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. This is a kind of industrial sabotage, 
right? There's actually a weed called darnel that looks just like wheat until the heads form, until the, 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 fr- the fruit, if you will, uh, comes to bear. And it was actually a practice in those days that people trying to sabotage, you know, in competition would sow um, this weed into people's wheat fields. And there was a, actually a law on the books in Rome that this was an offense. This was a criminal act to sow Darnell uh, weed into the wheat fields. And so, but this, an enemy came and did this. So when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. And, and you see here this theme that a, a plant is known by its fruit. Jesus had said earlier that day, a tree is known by its fruit. And the good soil is known by what it pr- produces, right? And the same way here, wheat can be determined from weeds by its fruit, okay, by what it produces. Verse 27, the owner's servants came to him and said, um, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them, the weeds, up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn." All right, so what are we supposed to do with that, right? What are we, we going to do with that? Now, it's interesting, the whole history of the interpretation of parables. And so a long time ago, it was highly popular uh, to allegorize parables. That is, to, to have every single minute detail in the parable mean something, stand for something. And they, they were very fanciful and very imaginative and, uh, and complex and complicated, and often the meaning got lost completely. So then the pendulum swung, and I remember when I was at seminary, I just remember being taught parables only have one big idea. So one big idea, one uh, you know, principle, one concept. So if you can just find that one concept, then you're good to go. Now, I think that's a lot better approach to parables, but what are we supposed to do here? Because we find out that a lot of things stand for stuff in this parable, and you know what? It's a pretty complicated parable, which means it might have more than just one idea. Ah! Well, Jesus interpreted it for us, so we're good to go. Look at verse 36. Verse 36. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And he answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. In other words, Jesus. By the way, that word sowed there is actually in the present tense. It's an ongoing. The one who sows. It's what the, it's what the son of man is doing. He is, he's sowing seed. All right? Uh, the weeds are the people of the evil ones. Let me, I'm sorry, I'll back up verse 38. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age." The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. 
Whoever has ears, let them hear. Listen up and understand. All right, so I, I'm going to have more than one point. Sorry, all my professors in seminary. <laughs> okay, but I just two, just two, all right? And the first one is this, that judgment is coming, but not yet. Not quite yet, not, not now. It's going to be reserved for later. So in, in this parable, harvest is not the same as we think of John 4 and the wheat uh, or the fields are white for harvest, go and, and, and harvest souls for eternity. This, this harvest is talking about end time judgment, all right? So judgment is coming, but not now. Now, um, this explains a little bit why the Jewish leaders were kind of skeptical and hard on Jesus. In fact, earlier that day, they had started to plot how they could kill him. So they had rejected him, and they were even now starting to plot to kill him. And the reasons for that is because he was not meeting their expectations of Messiah. And so in their perspective, and in some of this they were right, everything seemed upside down and topsy-turvy and wrong side up and crazy and wild and out of order with this world. Uh, the, the, the evil ones, those who mocked God and, and worshipped idols, uh, the unrighteous, uh, the wicked seemed to prosper. Every, things went well for them. And, and those who were God-fearing and who were righteous, uh, they suffered and they were oppressed because Rome was in power and the Jewish people were living, uh, you know, oppressed and, and subjected to Rome. And it just seemed like Nothing made sense in the world. Uh, wrong was right and right was wrong. And they were, they were highly frustrated with this. But they had this expectation and this hope. And one, one kind of phrase that they were looking forward to happening was called the day of the Lord. They were looking forward to the day of the Lord. And, and the day of the Lord is this Old Testament concept, but it was this idea of this judgment that would come that would separate things and, and make them all right again, restore order. And um, the, the day of the Lord would come, and that would mean judgment and punishment for the wicked, and it would mean salvation and vindication for the righteous, because Messiah would come, and he would judge, and he would set everything straight again, and, and everything would be sorted out. And they just they didn't see Jesus doing this. And so they were, they were upset, they were disillusioned, they were disappointed, and so they decided that they wanted to kill him and get rid of him. But one thing Jesus is communicating through this parable is that what they expected, the day of the Lord, the judgment, when everything would be set right, that it was going to happen. It was going to happen. He is going to do it. There will be a separation of the righteous from the unrighteous. The wicked will be separated out and punished. The righteous will be gathered together, rewarded and brought into God's presence. Justice will take place in the world. But it's God's job and it's in God's time. It's not our job and it's not the time for it. Now, Jesus is very clear that he's going to do it. Uh, look what he says just a little later in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus says, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. There will be justice. There will be an accounting. Things will be set straight. 
Jewish leaders, what you're looking for and expecting and wanting, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Paul gets really strong on this. Look what Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. And so, okay, we're looking forward to uh, that, that end game scenario um, where heaven and earth come together and all that is evil will be cast out and set aside and everything will be uh, restored to its wholeness and completeness, its goodness, its joy, its peace, its love. That's coming. Jesus promises that it's going to come. That expectation of the Messiah was going to take place, just not yet. The Jewish leaders wanted this. They were actually asking for this, but the fact was they were not ready for it, all right? So I talked about the fact that the Jewish leaders were kind of hard on Jesus. Well, Jesus was hard on the Jewish leaders, okay? He was quite hard on them. His harshest words came to those self-righteous, self-deceived Jewish leaders. He was hard on them. Why? He, he didn't see them as the enemy. He didn't see them as the bad guys. We, we know who he sees as the enemy and the bad guy. However, they were deceived and in a precarious and dangerous position because they made a huge assumption. And the assumption that the Jewish leaders made is, we are ready for that judgment. We are righteous. We are good. Bring it on. But Jesus knew, listen, if I came to bring it on, you'd be toast. You are not ready for judgment. And yet, you, and yet you're going to kill me because I'm not bringing it on. Now, he, you know, he infuriated them, Jesus did. Because he said things like, you know what? The prostitutes and the tax collectors and the scum of the earth are getting into heaven before you. And it's no wonder they wanted to kill him. How on earth can you say that? How can you say that, Jesus? And the reason Jesus could say that is because the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the scum of the earth, guess what? Knew that they were sinners and knew that they needed salvation and were looking for forgiveness. And Jesus brought grace and they flocked to him. And Jesus said, you are in such a better position if you know the truth about yourself and recognize that I bring forgiveness. Then, then you're going to enter in. But if you think you're good to go, apart from me, if you, in your self-righteousness, in your pride, in your hypocrisy, you are blinded and you are in danger, big time danger. And so Jesus confronted them harshly with sin. Why? Because he loved them. And he knew that the only way that they would find salvation is if they were convicted and recognized that they were needy, that they needed forgiveness. So he says very clearly, hey, that judgment that you're looking for, it's coming, it's coming, but not now. It's not now. 
And they didn't think that was good news, but that really was good news, all right? It was good news. So if it's not the time for harvest, what time is it? If it's not time for judgment, what time is it? It's wheat growing time. It's wheat growing time. It's time to sow and grow. All right, point two. Now is the time for sowing and growing. In other words, it's time to populate the kingdom. So what's God doing right now? That's what he's doing. He is sowing and growing. He is populating the kingdom of heaven with people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue. We don't have the authority or the right to sit in judgment to condemn people, to call them one thing or another. However, we have been invited by the king to become co-laborers with him in calling out people out of the dominion of darkness and of Satan and into the kingdom of his beloved son, the kingdom of light and forgiveness and hope. Here is what the Jewish leaders didn't get. And listen up, because I hope we get it. Before the day of the Lord, that's the day of judgment, of separation, when God sets everything straight, and we ought to long for that in one way, but we're glad for this. Before the day of the Lord comes the day of salvation. Before the day of the Lord comes the day of salvation. Salvation precedes judgment. God's grace goes before God's justice. Look what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 6. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the time of God's favor. This is the age of grace. Amen? I'm so glad to live in this time period. This is the best time period to live in. You know, we can complain about all kinds of things, but listen, this is good, all right? This is the time of God's favor of his grace, but don't forget that judgment is coming. So what are we to be doing now? Okay, God's populating his kingdom. We're the most helpful to Jesus when we focus on growing wheat rather than pulling weeds, all right, and calling people into relationship with Jesus, into this, into following the king, into learning to live with him, uh, ruling and reigning over us. <clears throat> now, Jesus says, we're all mixed up together here in this world, wheat and weeds, and sometimes it's hard to tell the difference, right? Okay? Um, but what we're called to do is to, to, to join with Jesus in sowing and growing and multiplying uh, wheat in populating the kingdom. That you know, we're not we're not called to condemn. That doesn't mean we can't call sin sin. That doesn't mean, especially within the church, we can't confront our fellow believers uh, with sin. But what it means is that our main job is just to be a part of of, of sowing and growing out there. Um, my dad uh, grew up out in Kansas, in wheat growing territory. And so he, he uh, grew up uh, working out on the wheat fields, and then he, uh, World War II came along, and he was a part, he, he joined the um, Air Force. And so he actually, during his time, uh, went the entire way around the globe, spent the last uh, part of his time in Asia, and then he came back to Kansas, and he said, 
I'm never leaving again. I'm going to be a wheat farmer. <laughs> I'm just going to stay here and be a wheat farmer. Yeah, right. Well, God called him, what? To go be a missionary in Africa. And so he spent most of the rest of his life uh, sowing and growing wheat. Not the physical kind, the spiritual kind. In Africa, and then there was a lot of fruit from his ministry uh, and then he came back and taught at Grace Seminary before he died and, and also had an impact. And I have had so many people over my life come and say to me, man, your dad, what a difference he made. You know, he impacted my life. He was, he was intentional about being a part of sowing and growing uh, wheat. And uh, that's what we're to do. And we're most helpful when we focus on that. Instead of being all judgmental and condemning, instead just helping uh, being co-laborers with Christ in growing wheat. You know, sometimes we wish God would judge, though, you know, because we can have righteous anger at things in the world, the injustices in the world, and we long for God to come set it straight. But why doesn't he? And, and God's very clear about why that day of judgment, the day of the Lord, is held off. And Peter tells us real clearly in 2 Peter 3, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. That's the promise to come and to return uh, and to set everything straight and to judge. He's not slow, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. All right? He's he, sowing and growing. That's what's happening right now. And we want to join in on that because that's, that's the season we're in, a season of sowing and growing. But you know, we live in a culture of polarization, you know? It's so easy to judge and to hate the mission field all around us. It's so easy to paint as enemies the very people whom God has called us to reach with the good news of the gospel and to separate ourselves and, and not to be a part of sowing and growing and to make premature judgments about people and what they are, weed or wheat. Think about the Apostle Paul, okay? <clears throat> what a change there. I'm thinking about a man uh, who in his teens began to live with a woman and, and got her pregnant. And um, then he got engaged to someone else. But he didn't get engaged because he loved her. He got engaged uh, just for uh, social advancement, you know, kind of for his career. But it was a long engagement, a couple of years, and so during that couple of years, he started living with another woman. And um, during this whole time, he left the church, the established church, and he started, he became a part of a cult. And uh, after a while, that got boring for him. He didn't believe the cult stuff anymore, and so he became a skeptic. He became a skeptic. Now, is that person weed or wheat? Well, if we tore that person out of the pages of history, we'd be tearing St. Augustine out of the pages of history because that's who that was before he had a miraculous and powerful transformation, before he converted to faith in Jesus Christ. He was one of the most brilliant and gifted theologians of church history. All right? So what about Chuck Colson in our time? Here's a guy that you had a lot of reasons not to like, right, and to condemn and to judge, and yet God, God had a purpose and a plan for him. Ours, ours is not to judge and condemn. 
Ours is to be a part of sowing and growing to see what God will do. It's up to God. God is growing wheat. He's multiplying wheat. It's sow and grow time. Let's not be naive, though. It's not easy. It's hard, and we do have an enemy, an active, powerful enemy. But it's, it's notice that the enemy isn't, in, in Christ's time, the enemy wasn't the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the Jewish leaders. The enemy, the enemy wasn't the Romans or any other Gentile. It wasn't any human at all. Humans aren't the enemy. Jesus makes very clear who the enemy is. The enemy is Satan. And of course, Paul, again, just, just reverberating these things later in the New Testament, writes this in Ephesians 6. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Satan is the enemy, and we need to be aware of his schemes, the way he loves to deceive and tempt. If we're going to get angry, let's get angry at the right, at the right enemy, and let's choose to love and to sow and to grow with those that God has called us to reach. time to sow and grow. But you know, it can be discouraging because of lack of response. And it can, you can look out there and say, it just looks like nothing but weeds. You ever get that feeling? Nothing but weeds. Uh, and we kind of feel small, insignificant, and defeated. But can you, can you imagine uh, how the disciples must have felt? J- just a small band of followers of Jesus against the world. You know, how's this going to work out? It seems daunting and impossible. Sowing and growing good wheat in this world. That's why Jesus tells the other two parables. I don't got time to go into them, but the, the, they're quite well known. The parable of the mustard seed, which is simply this. Uh, he, he compares how a mustard seed begins, tiny seed, and how it ends, a big bush, even a tree. Uh, and so he says, compare. Little Big. Look what God can do. God can take something little and he can make it big. He can use it. Then there's the parable of the leaven, which is to show that, that just a little bit of leaven, just a little bit of something can influence the whole thing. All right? You got to trust me. You got to trust me. I can do this. This is the season we're in. This is what I'm all about. Sowing and growing. And what it may appear to you isn't what I can do with it. Can we trust him with that? What time is it? It's time for sowing and growing. Say, sowing and growing. All right, so what? So what? What now? What are we going to do with that parable, okay? Hey, judgment is coming, but not now, not yet. All right, in the meantime, it's time for sowing and growing. That's what God's doing. And what are we talking about? They're really talking about making disciples. Are we making disciples so I have two questions, kind of two, two things we need to think about as we engage this parable. One is this. Are you ready for the harvest? Are you ready for that judgment when it comes? Are you wheat? Are you wheat? Okay? We, it's not really ours to judge other people, but we can look at ourselves and we each need to do that. Look what Alexander Solzhenitsyn, that great dissident Russian, wrote If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And so we need to look at our own hearts and ask the question, weed or wheat? 
And of course, what makes the difference? The difference begins with, do I believe in Jesus as the Messiah, as the one who came and lived a sinless life and who went to the cross and there on the cross took upon himself the punishment that I deserve for my sin, that judgment that I deserve, he took it upon himself. He took the righteous wrath of God upon himself. He died my death in my place for me, and if I believe that, if I repent of my sin and believe in him and follow him, that's wheat, that's wheat, and it'll, it'll, produce, it'll produce the fruit of salvation in our lives. Is that my heart's desire, a faith in Christ, a submission to him, a belief in him that, that, that draws me to know him more and more and to follow him and to allow his spirit and his word to transform my life? Am I, am I weed or wheat? Number two, are you intentionally involved in sowing and growing? How, how are you intentionally involved in sowing and, and growing? We talk about outplanting here, outplanting. And outplanting out is, is recognizing that we, as followers of Jesus Christ and the Word of God, that's the seed, all right, that God wants to sow and, and with it to, to grow wheat. And are, are we recognizing that God wants to sow us as people relationally in, into the lives of others and with his word that it might produce wheat, sow and grow wheat? Are, are, are we intentional about our lives that way, sowing and growing? Here's what uh, Chuck Swindoll wrote about sowing and growing. We are growing wheat when we mend a quarrel, dismiss suspicion, or tell someone, I love you, this week. When we give something away, anonymously. When we forgive someone who has treated us wrong. When we turn away wrath with a soft answer. When we visit someone in the hospital. When we apologize if we were wrong. When we are especially kind to someone with whom we work. When we give as God gave to us in Christ, without obligation or announcement or reservation, or hypocrisy. In other words, when we live out the reality of God's rule and reign in our lives, when the kingdom of heaven is displayed in our lives to others, then the Spirit can take that, and we're sowing and growing. How can you do that this week? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much that you have uh, redeemed us and called us to yourself and that you have invited us to join you in this incredible task of sowing and growing wheat. And uh, we recognize that uh, we aren't wheat because we're so great or wonderful or smart or wise or good-looking or rich or powerful or anything. We're not wheat because we're good. We are wheat because you and your great love have chosen us to belong to you, and you've done everything possible to make it that way. And so we thank you from the bottom of our hearts, and we pray that your spirit would work in us to motivate us to be intentional about joining you in this whole grand endeavor, the thing that's really happening, the season that we're in, uh, and that is sowing and growing. So help us to do that, Lord, in complete dependence upon you. And uh, we pray that there will be uh, people who uh, come to know you, who, who are de will, be, will be demonstrated as wheat. And we pray now for our graduates who are coming as they go out 
into a new phase of life, that they would hold on to you, that they would be wheat and be people who are part of your work of sowing and growing. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.